Yo, this episode of Bass Freaks is brought to you by Dunlop Super Bright Bass Strings. Dunlop Super Bright Bass Strings put your sound front and center with a bright yet musical top end, balanced fundamental, and a warm low end. Designed from the ground up to fit the vision of what a string should be, Super Bright Bass Strings provide a superior response that allows the natural voice of your bass to come through. Made in California at Dunlop headquarters, go to jimdunlop.com and check out Super Bright Bass Strings. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Dunlop Presents Bass Freaks. This is a place for all of us bass freaks to chat it up, gain a little insight and inspiration, and have some fun with some great bass players. I'm your host, Josh Paul, and today we welcome O'Teal Burbridge to the show. Round of applause. This man right here is a huge inspiration to me, and I want to thank him for coming on. Well, thank you for having me, man. I'm glad to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, like we were talking off mic a little bit before, it's like uh, there's so much happening, good and bad, but it's all at once. So I guess the, the volume is just turned up on everything. But the good part is the best ever. So, you know, you just, you got to roll with it. I guess it's not much different from uh, just how the country is in general. <laughs> you know? That is true. That's so true. <laughs> Like I was saying before, uh, I, I always say it, it comes in waves and um, <laughs> it either takes you down or it lifts you high in the sky or and yeah. both at the same time in your case. <laughs> yeah. And you just got I'm becoming a better swimmer. There you so, go. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I like that, man. Sometimes you need floaties, but otherwise, yeah, you, yes. <laughs> you can wean yourself off. Dude, sure. so... So I haven't seen you in many, many years. Um, I remember uh, the first time we met was actually at a NAMM show and I was little, I was probably 12, 13 years old. And I met you at the Modulus booth and I was just staring at you in awe with these puppy dog eyes. I mean, <laughs> you know, I was, I probably annoyed the crap out of you, but uh, you were always so kind to me. And uh, I want to say that I really appreciate that. Oh, wow. That's cool. You know, I found out that I met Thundercat. I didn't think that I had, but we were on a Zoom together after uh, Rocco Prestia died. Uh, and it was like a tribute to him. Uh -huh. And he was like, yeah, I met O'Teal. I met him at a NAMM show when I was really young. I was a kid. And I was like, oh, I did meet you. I just, how could I have known? You probably looked a lot different too than he did when, when I met you, you know? Yeah, I, had, I didn't have as many tattoos, that's for sure. Or, or a beard. <laughs> But, <laughs> but yeah, man, you were so, so nice and so, um, um, generous with your time and, and your expertise. And I, I really respect that. It, it, it made an impact on me and the way that I treat other musicians and just human beings in general. So I want to say thank you for that. Well, I've, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't an a-hole. <laughs> I had some <laughs> friends of mine, uh, some, uh, a particular friend of mine who met his hero, who I won't say who it is, because we all know who it is. I mean, we all know this person, okay. but um, he just crushed him when he met him. He was such a big fan. The guy was such a hole to him, and mm. and I thought, man, I, well, actually, I never could conceive of myself being in that position at that time. I was a teenager, but I just thought, what a drag, you know. So. Later on, 
when I did have fans and sometimes you're just not in the mood, you know? And um, I remember that, you know, I remember how it just broke my buddy's heart. You know, yeah. he's such a, it, it just broke his heart, man. So I, I, but then I met Willie Nelson one time and BB King and they were so generous with their time and they're such icons, you know? Yeah. And one time I met Willie, I was on his bus. It was me and Derek trucks and Susan Tedeschi. And they took me on his bus and he was greeting people. There was like a line out the bus, come in, say hi with Willie. You could take a picture, you know, chat for a second. And then his wife would like keep the line movement moving, you know? So I'm just sitting on the bus with, now we never let anybody on our bus, you know? That's like the last, that's the one place where you can just get away from everybody. Right. (laughs) Once you make it onto the bus, right? Well, that's your home. Yeah. yeah, And so this, this took a long time. I mean, it might've been 30 minutes or so, you know, and finally the last person gets off there and Willie, um, he grabs the apple and he says, um, I say, Willie, man, you are so generous with your time. Like, our bus is like, that's the one place that we can get away from everybody. You're not even like Russian people, you know? I was like, how do you do that? And he looks at me, he goes, Otil, I'm just glad to be here. Gratitude. And I was like, yeah. wow, I am such an a-hole. You know, like <laughs> this guy is like such an icon with that level of humility and gratitude. Yeah. And I've seen it with B.B. King. I've seen, you know, there's certain people they're just beyond iconic that have that real humility, which I still don't have that. I'm still kind of arrogant compared to that, <laughs> <laughs> at times, but it really put me in my place. I was just, it, it, it undid me. I was just like, wow. So now I'm way better. I mean, of course, when I met you, I wasn't any, nobody know, knew who I was, you know, well, but I'm, I'm, I knew who you were. I, you know. Yeah, but I mean, the bass players, right? You know right. what I mean. Yeah. But like, yeah. Um, and I don't know if it, if that was after the Almond Brothers when you met me, or before, because I've been doing some Nam shows before Almond Brothers when only people inside the industry knew who I was. You know. Yeah. Um, but so like, if it was before '97, that's when I got the Almond Brothers gig. It was before that. Yeah. See, so I was not like a famous person, you know? Okay. So then I can't, I can't give you that much credit then. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah. I mean, just not beyond, beyond just not being a, a a general a-hole, you know, like (laughs) go away, kid, you bother me, you know, like, Oh my God. I was super grateful to be there. I was like, wow. And Nam shows like going to Oz. I never, you know? Yeah, man. No, you were great. And um, I, as far as your experience with Willie and BB, I think, um, you know, we can really learn from those experiences. And it sounds like you did as well. It kind of reminded you um, to be humble and, and um, just be grateful for wherever we are at any time, at any moment. We're breathing. Yeah. We're doing what we love. Um, what, what advice would you give um, aspiring musicians or bass players on that end? as far as relationships go and and building relationships and, and making a career out of this? Well, you know, man, it's such a big question, but it's very important right now, especially after the pandemic. And I would say 
um, two things. Like, for me, I put all my eggs in one basket. So I'm not recommending other people do what I did in the uh, micro sense. Like, I didn't go to college. I didn't have any backup plan. I just got out of high school and hit the road. Same with me. And I was like, this is it. So if it, if it works or it doesn't work, whatever, this is what I'm going to be doing. In fact, I chose it because I was like, you know, if I never make a lot of money, I could still be happy because I wasn't getting in traffic. And if I could just figure out just how to survive playing this bass guitar, to me, that would be success, right? Mm. So I put all my eggs in one basket. But I think no matter how that works out <clears throat> in the micro sense, I think it's a good idea to just put all your eggs and be all in. Oh, I like be that. All be in. all in. You know, because in. like <clears throat> my, one of my biggest mentors, Colonel Bruce Hampton told me 99% of success is just continuing to show up. So the idea is like when the ship comes in one day, it's going to be your turn. There's so many numb nuts in this business. <laughs> Somebody got drunk, right? Missed the plane or just can't, like get along with people on the bus or, you know, has a, a addiction or whatever it is that takes them out of the game. And then they need somebody and they need them right now. And they're calling everybody and you're one of the people that called. So the ship came in, started pulling the foghorn and you left. Right. Because you gave up on yourself. So I stayed along around long enough to win the when that when that foghorn went off, I went racing down to the dock and jumped on that bad boy. They were like, looking for me. Come on, we need you. So that's one thing. The other thing is almost kind of the opposite, which is to make sure that you have a really good home life and an identity outside of this. Mm, because, you know, now I get it spiritually. I could go, okay, um, First, this first I'm a human, which makes me, in my belief system, a child of the creator, however you want to. There's some kind of parental thing going on, the created and the creator, right? So that's my first thing. And that's where I get my worth, not in whether I make it or not make it in the music business or if people say I'm a good bass player or not a good bass player or anything. They don't like the way I look. My skin's too dark. Whatever your hangup is about me, you know, like, <laughs> or your judgment of me. <clears throat> First, I'm that. I'm a human, a child of the creator. And then I'm Jess's husband, Nigel's dad, and Kavi's dad, right? So each of these things requires some... Uh, care like a gardener watering weeding uh you know making sure it gets enough sun not too much sun right so my spiritual relationship my i got to take care of my body i've got to be a good husband i've got to be a good father and all the varieties all the branches off that tree right i have to take care of and then music a musician a provider which is one of the branches off of that tree of my family you know, you see, so now it's like I have this whole structure that's not, and I didn't have that before 40. And I was right. a mess. Uh, I was me a too, mess. Man. Me too. 
So high five on getting it yeah. together. Yeah, high five, man, because, you know, a lot of us don't make it. I've seen a lot of people die. And, you know, my career has worked out to where I was, like, helping out these older icons, Almond Brothers, Grateful Dead, you know. Um, so I could – we – like an Almond Brothers band, we have this song, No One Left to Run With. It's just about all the people that died. And the video thing behind us shows Oh wow! this endless stream of people – that died, you know, that was their generation, you know, Hendrix and just the list goes on and on. One, I, I used to watch it one um, because I was just flabbergasted by how many, I was like, God, so many of y'all's friends died. Like so many. And then I realized it's the same thing for me now. Of course I'm 56 now. Right. But I've buried a bunch of my friends, too many. Right. You know, and, and some of them. And it's like, oh my goodness, this is, the stakes are for real here. So many of them died in their early 20s, you know, in the late 60s and early 70s and stuff. So um, the lessons, you know, are important. I'm glad that I got it by 40. I'm lucky to have even made it to 40. A lot of that is because I didn't, I wasn't into like what I consider hard drugs. Okay. Right. Um, so I think that helped and I stopped drinking so damn much because that's maybe the hardest drug that I, I, tobacco. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I quit drinking about five years ago. <clears throat> I feel, Man, uh, I'm a different whoa. person. So it just, and let me tell you something. I just throw this out there because some people are atheists and I, and I understand why, because religious people have done a real bad job and I count <laughs> myself as one of them. We have not, <laughs> set a good example but they don't call alcohol spirits for nothing man yeah i i, I hear that it's your spirit changes if oh. you're really drunk it does it just does it there's does. some other spirits that get in there with you that are not good <laughs> <laughs> or however you want to look at them draw the metaphor like whatever i'm saying metaphorically i get why they call it spirits <laughs> different different things come out at different yeah. times for sure i don't even know that was in there what in the hell did i do <laughs> oh man i think yeah. it's a vibration like you know sun ross said where the problem with mankind is that man is out of tune with the universe or our society let's say is out of tune with the universe and that's how i look at like what are we tuning up to so we vibrate on these frequencies well if you're clear and you meditate, that's one frequency. When I'm sitting on the couch and Nigel's sitting next to me and I'm just snuggling with him, that's a great frequency right there. That's you know? the best. Now, yeah, now me hammered drunk at a bar is a completely different frequency that's probably not going to lead to the goodness of me snuggling with Nigel on the couch of that frequency, right? And it's not as satisfying. It, there's a satisfaction that comes from um, being content. And in those moments yeah. with my kids where it's, it could be five minutes or it could be yep. five hours, but that moment together just fills my heart completely. Yeah. And I remember those every single one of those moments, the yep. moments of me getting all hammered at the bar. Yeah, okay. Portions were awesome, fun for the second, but then it yeah. just, I don't remember those times. 
and it's meaningless. Yeah. It's meaningless, and it's dangerous for me. And the tab, <laughs> you, and the tab, you have to pay for it afterwards. That is the truth. Right? That is the so, truth. So I mean, you know, it's like you can do whatever you want. So you know, the, the time I'm getting with Nigel and Kavi and my wife, and I, it's all good. It's, it's just all good. So yeah. I'm trying to tune into that and tune into all those good things, and then like a radio station that you really don't like. You just don't listen to it. You don't tune to that anymore. You just go buy it. Yeah. You know? I hear that. <laughs> I hear that, man. Um, so you have been on tour forever. And you guys <laughs> tour. Yeah. You guys tour. You you well, first let's talk about tell everybody about the artists that you work with. Because I know, but can you can you uh give us some of your yeah. some well, of your the, work? The first you know my first and biggest mentor and the, and the person that I always wanted to play with the most was my older brother, Kofi Burbridge, who most people know from Derek Trucks Band yes. and Tedeschi Trucks Band, as far as out on our scene, you know. And, um, and then I have to mention uh, Colonel Bruce Hampton, because uh, we were in a band called the Aquarium Rescue Unit. Colonel Bruce Hampton and the Aquarium Rescue Unit. And that's how I got, ended up making my first little bit of name for myself. How did you and meet I, he, him? How did you meet him? <laughs> he, I was very uh, wondering if I should even quit music because this is the only time, unfortunately, because I put all my eggs in one basket, I, I had nowhere to go. <laughs> but I was kind of at my bottom. I should have realized, well, you have nowhere to go but up. So, but uh, the drummer, Jeff Sipes, said, hey, man, you should go meet this crazy guy, Colonel Bruce Hampton. A, a lot of the greatest musicians in Atlanta go play with him when they want to get their yayas out and their frustrations out. And I was like, all right, cool, you know. And so I met, I went to meet him and we went out to his car. He wanted to give me his album of Arkansas, which really changed my life. But like I was talking to him and in the middle of a sentence, he just blurts out. He goes, August 24th at two in the morning. And I was born August 24th at one fifty-seven in the morning. Ah, and I was like, wait a minute, Mr. Hampton. Uh, what? How did you do Now There is no cell. This is like 1988. Okay. We didn't have no cell phones. There's no Googling. So I don't think he knew my last name. So if wow. he had Google, he couldn't have Googled it, right? Like, it was, I just was like, how did you do that? And I, and I come to find out that he was extremely psychic, probably an extraterrestrial. <laughs> um, I watched him do this hundreds of times, hundreds of just freak out. I've seen some people, like, legitimately freak out. They were like, I mean, some people that were very religious thought it might be satanic. And I mean, it was like, I've really seen him freak some people out, man, for real. Like, wow. and not just guessing their birthday, doing other stuff that, that he couldn't possibly have known. So I was like, I don't know what's up with you, but I'm going to be hanging out with you if you let me until I figure out what the hell it is. And he, among the many other things he taught me to do, um, he helped me understand folk music. 
Okay. Delta blues, really old gospel, black and white, um, country, bluegrass, just all the folk musics. I was much more of an instrumentalist. Like I wanted to see some chops. I wanted to hear some chops. I wanted to hear some like complicated structure. Like I loved, you know, classical rock, progressive rock fusion. I'd like the stuff with elaborate architecture and unison lines and all this stuff. And the, my blind spot was, you know, the old guy sitting on the corner with the beat up guitar mm. that was singing something very simple, but that was his life story, his spiritual journey here on earth. And that, and, and that's what, you know, I, I got that huge piece from him and that's what prepared me for the Almond Brothers band. That is awesome. Because <laughs> you, know, you need, if you don't know that blues thing and the country and bluegrass thing, like you need to know those stories. You need to know their stories to play Almond Brothers because the, the mute, it is just the later version of that. It's like electric folk, Southern music, all, gumbo, all these different styles mixed together with some psychedelics too, <laughs> you know? Um, and so that's their story, you know? And I, I had, the, he filled in the, the, that Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, Mississippi, you know, that part of the story that I was missing musically. My dad had a wide, wide uh, interest in all different kinds of music. We heard classical and learned it, Indian classic, all this stuff. But he missed that. I turned him on to Howlin' Wolf, you know, like oh, wow. it was just such a kick for my dad. It was such a music college. It's a kick for me to turn him on to something he hadn't heard before. And I got that from Colonel Bruce. That was his blind spot that became my blind spot. He's a New York jazz guy, you know? Gotcha. So, but that prepared me for the Almond brothers and then doing that for 17 years. Um, was there and, a highlight on any of those shows that you can remember? Any, one particular moment where you thought, okay. With I, the Colonel or with the Almond Brothers? With the Almond Brothers. Um, no, you know what? The highlight for me was um, that certain things that you would do over and over again would never get old. That's beautiful. Like playing Midnight Rider or Cross the Bear or whatever song it just they would never get old and you wonder how is that how would cross the bear make my the hair on my arm stand up literally every time like you feel you get that anticipation you know and you know this line is coming yeah. and then it comes and the crowd you know you just feel like you almost start to tear up a little bit it's just like where is that magic but see again we get back to this mystical part like you know what is that what is that that's it. That's what do you what think it, it is? is? What is it? What do you think it it's is? It's the magic. It's the mystic. <laughs> you know, mystic replies to mystery. So you can't, you cannot describe it with words. You cannot. And so we even make pictures and sounds because words aren't enough. And that's yeah. not enough. That's true. But that feeling, that feeling with your kids that's it. That's it. That's it. That feeling when your hair stands up when when cross the bear play. That's it. 100%. It's all. It's like it's like uh, it's relational. It's like 
it's a thing that happens between us, you know, um, I don't mean, I don't know. This is why we make art. This is why we write Bibles. This is why we write st- even stories like Harry Potter and Star Wars. You know, it's like, this is, you know, we, we got to tell these stories to our kids to try to help them understand and identify what this it is. <laughs> you yeah, <know>? man. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. I think it's funny. Like, <laughs> no matter what happens, whether we're talking about music or whether we're talking about politics or we're talking about whatever, it, it always seems to come back to this thing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> For me anyway, maybe yeah, I'm just, you know, that thing. No, it's, uh, I think, um, <laughs> being in touch in present in a particular moment definitely helps, um, mm-hmm. uh, allowing yourself to feel that thing. Yeah. It it's opens scary. Up, right? It opens like up so t- many windows and so many just doors. It opens yourself. I mean, even you, um, um, with the Colonel, what's his last name? Um, Hampton, Colonel Bruce Hampton, Colonel Bruce Hampton, yeah. um, him exposing you to some different vibes and different music really opened up so many different doors for you. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And he, and he tried to do it like, uh, Literally, too, the very first book he gave me was the Book of the Tao by Lao Tzu. Uh-huh. And um, he gave me some books by Jiddu Krishnamurti. And, and I've related to those very much because they very are kind of in that same, like if you get Star Wars and Star Trek and Harry Potter, then, then you get it, you know, like, or the Bible or whatever. Like they're all, we're all, we're all trying to, uh, you know, like he, but I, w- I was too young at the time really to process the book of the Tao. I think the Krishnamurti I got more at the time because it's a, a, trying to trace an intellectual pathway through the non-intellectual. The Tao spoke in more subjective terms, which now that I'm older, just floor me so much he was so wise that that's the first book he gave me like what a bullseye man what a bullseye uh, um yeah so he 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 did he taught me in both ways showing me and explicitly like trying to point me to it you know that's great so let's let's talk about bass a little bit what yeah. uh what i've seen you play and I've been floored watching you play, I should say, uh, six string. I think yeah. um, you've been known to kind of play the six string. What drew, what drew you to that? Uh, I just wanted to be able to do chords. It's Kofi. You know, I tell a funny story sometimes, which, and it's true. It's not all of it, but <laughs> I, mean, I love telling it, especially when I'm with Victor Wooten. But it's partially true. You know, I met Victor when I was 19. I was already on this pathway towards, I loved chord voicings because of my brother. And the, he was really into Herbie Hancock, Chick Corea, George Duke, Jan Hammer, Joe Zawinul, right? Like mm-hmm. those were his guys. And their voicings are just so, but Herbie was his main guy, you know? And so I just always loved like how like a major seven chord, you could play it like one person could play it and then Kofi could play it. 
and it would sound totally different. So that got me really into intervals. And then Kofi had perfect pitch. They discovered that when he was seven. So trying to keep up with him, I got really good relative pitch, which was all about intervals. So I was kind of already on this path. And then at 19 years old, I met Victor Wooten and, um, and all the Wooten brothers. Billy Drummond was like, I think the Burbage brothers need to meet the Wooten brothers. Yes. And I was like, okay, who's the Wooten brothers? So he took me and Kofi over to their house. Our minds were just blown. I was like, what? I couldn't even play. I was just... I wish, you know, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall in that room. Dude, yeah, I was 19 years old. Me and Vic are born a month apart, right? He's born on September 11th. And um, <laughs> it was just like, who are these aliens? <laughs> oh, my God. And that day, I remember I came home and I was like, well, I'm definitely going to pursue this chord thing because all of the rest of it, <laughs> he's got, it's, there's no real estate left anywhere else. <laughs> and um. But I, you know, I was kind of on that path already, and it just is really because of my brother, and okay. um, I couldn't afford a six string. Anthony Jackson was the only one that had one at all. Wow! At that point, and then I remember when I first heard Patatucci. They said, "Oh, Chick Corea's got this new band," and Patatucci was playing a six string. But it was one of those hand. I was like, I'm never gonna be able to afford that. So I remember I bought. They had that Nathan East model of the Yamaha BB5000. Oh, yeah. That cream colored. Yeah. So, and it was affordable. And so I went and bought one of those. And then I started, you know, that's when the journey, that's when I first started extrapolating four string chords onto five. And that's when I realized, oh my God, if you could get the chord farther away from the bass note, it has this crazy sound like Charlie Hunter, you know? And I was like, damn, one day when I get a six train, man, one day. And it took till 1991 or two, I think 91. And Modulus, we got a publishing deal from Warner Chapel with Colonel Bruce. So I was probably 25, 26. And um, I went to Corner Music and I, I wanted to get a, a Steinberger six string, but they didn't make it. And they said, but there is this graphite base called a modulus that has a graphite neck, but the body's wood. Is that okay? And I said, well, let me try it. So I went there, JD from corner music in Nashville. I went and uh, played it, loved it. And it was affordable because I just got this money from the publishing deal and I bought it. And I went straight to Reggie Wooten's house (laughs) because he lived not far from me in Nashville and I would stay up late, late, late nights learning chords, voicings, chord melody, um, just really diving in. And uh, Reggie Wooten, man, he he expanded my brain. My brother knew all that stuff, but he couldn't show me on a fretboard, you know? Ah, okay. And Reggie helped me understand it in terms of a fretboard. And, um, and then I... I was off, you know? <laughs> uh, yes, you were. And okay, so when did all the scat stuff come into play? That actually happened even before I got the six string because uh, <laughs> Colonel Bruce, you know, you have to understand, Colonel Bruce was like the John Belushi of music, you <laughs> well, know? How? How do you mean? Because he, he, wasn't, he wasn't like an accomplished 
instrumentalist. Okay. Like, you know, like somebody that's just an instrumentalist would probably say he can't even play, you know, but he understood the life part of music and the folk part, the story part, the drama part, the, all these other parts, you know? Yeah. So he, he was able to teach in that way, you know, like he could do things on my bass that I couldn't do, you know? Give me one example. He would say, um, can you play like you never, like play the way you used to play before you knew how to play? Okay. (laughs) I was like, damn, you know, I can't, I was like, I've been spending my whole life trying to not play like that, you know? Yeah. But he wanted that side too. He was like, you know, you're just giving me like an edited part of yourself. You know, you're not giving me the full picture. Like I want the side of you that makes a mistake. I want the side of you Mm. that is the amazing bass player, but I also want to hear you uh, poke fun at yourself or, you know what I mean? Like just all the the, the life parts of music. Yeah. Like he used to always say, you know, your music doesn't have any threat. And I was like, what does that mean? He said, well, you know what you're going to play already. And so there's no anticipation like that you might do something different. Like all the, all the greats have this threat, like, Oh my God, what are they going to do? You're like hanging. I mean, think about miles, right? Right. Like every next note, you're like, what crazy note is he going to (laughs) pick? You know, (laughs) like, you know, (laughs) and I was like, well, how do I get that? He goes, well, you can't just play what you're going to practice. And he would be like, I could show you, I don't even need an instrument. And so (laughs) I was like, what? He was like, he took off his shoe. He stood on stage with his shoe and he just held it. And he held it for long enough that people were like, what the hell's going on? Like, what's, what's he doing? Like it got everybody's attention. The threat was like immediately (laughs) until it just almost started to disturb the whole room. (laughs) <laughs> and then he just dropped the shoe and walked off and people were like, ah, you know, and I just was like, he, and I, <laughs> I was like, okay, I got to figure out how to do that on a base. All right. It's just like, so crazy, like how he could teach like that, but he couldn't nec- he, he didn't know what a diminished scale was. Right. You know, <laughs> it's, that's <laughs> it's like definitely can, in the moment, man. Yeah. You know, so he taught me like, all these different things, watching his reaction to Howlin' Wolf and, and you know, Ralph Stanley, or John Lee Hooker, Booker White or whatever. I mean, he loved jazz. He loves everything. But, like, watching his reactions to music that I didn't get yet uh-huh. pointed out to me what was so amazing about it. And he was right. I was like, oh, wow, how was I missing that, you know? That's awesome. So... I guess that brings me to another point of improvisation. Um, Like when you're the gig with the dead and company, um, how much is rehearsed? How much is improvised? Because I've heard, uh, you know, and seen videos of you guys and it, you know, it's a jam thing. It seems like it it feels like how much of that is improvised. Well, you know, this gets very philosophical with them too, because it was born out of the acid test. So, you know, their music has 
some of it has a lot of architecture. It's like classical in that way, you know? And I love that. That's the old fusion guy in me, you know, and you got to solo through the whole form. You got to go through every hallway, you know? Wow. (laughs) And um, so it's like playing changes like jazz in that sense. But because this music was born out of the acid test during the acid test, they were under no obligation to be the band. There were a lot of different things going on. There was dance and poetry and visual art and people just tripping and they were the sound part of it. And then there was other sounds being made. It was just, so if they were like tripping too hard, they didn't have to keep playing. They could just like stop playing and go trip. Right. So they were never under any pressure to do anything. So it ended up creating that foundation is a foundation of exploring and that everything could be wiped off the table. Like this whole, we could build a sandcastle 50 feet high and then just smash it, you know, like, nope. So at any moment, if the moment says smash the castle, we could smash it. So it's really incredible, an incredible thing to be a part of because it's like Sun Ra in that way where, there's a lot of architecture to his songs, but if if the spirit says we are now going to leave this planet or just flip into another dimension, that's where we're going. So that there's a part of it, and there's that threat that the Colonel Bruce was talking, the Colonel was talking about. At any moment, the whole thing could just veer left and go to another galaxy. So with that built into the music, we then sometimes will play the form just like it's supposed to be played and then sometimes it will go somewhere else and the jam part obviously is supposed to like but it's it doesn't have to like go somewhere else it just has to be what it honestly is in that moment and it might i mean it's the ultimate threat yeah if i I hadn't played with the colonel like how could i do this gig right i was gonna say i mean (laughs) um jumping into a situation like that you it, it obviously involves um, um, listening to one another. Oh and, yeah. Um, on a level, just I, I'm sure by now you guys kind of know where it's going. And how long have you been doing that gig? About five years now. Five you, years. you learn each other's tendencies for sure, but you can never say you know where it's going. Yeah. Or we're doing it wrong. Ah. Is there yeah. ever a wrong with you guys? No. There's a wrong intention. Yeah. Like if I'm playing to like mess you up, like we're playing together and I'm just deliberately don't give a shit about you. Right. Or it might, it may be even sabotage. Like that would be wrong. Wow. You could have a wrong intention, yeah. but not a wrong. Like if your intention is right, there is no wrong. Okay. I, I think that's probably the case um, in every band situation or every live Every every musical situation yeah. where you're playing with someone, um, not just by yourself. Would you? Well, agree? The, yeah. I mean, again, we get back to this thing. It's like it's about forgiveness. So, like, there's that's not to say there's no accidents and no mistakes. Right? But is that wrong? Now that if it's wrong, do I have to be penalized for it or corrected? It's like no, you've we know what you meant to do. Yeah. You know, like okay. there's forgiveness. So. And maybe, 
<laughs> you know, maybe that mistake sounded cool. And someone's like, no, I thought it was cool. And then they play it again the second time. And you're like, oh, wow, that is cool. You know, so I mean, it's like, <laughs> I, it I personally, all kinds of things. yeah, I personally feel that imperfection is perfection when it comes to art and music, because number one, it's subjective. But I I appreciate that sometimes if the vibe is right, it doesn't need to be technically perfect or what yes i yes well i always tell people i'm like look if your mom dies are you gonna cry in a key (laughs) wow yeah you know what i mean like you know part of music is making sound it's a part of what we do as humans now let's not even talk about music we make sound now we happen to make sound into patterns but there's also the opposite of a pattern there's just, you know, a volcano explodes, right? It just, it's it's not uh, fractal. That, or maybe the patterns, I can't discern it. But, you know, like, I just say, like, if your mom dies, you're going to cry not in a key. Some things are just emotional and spiritual, and they come out in sound and other things. So... We can't have it all be perfect. You know, when you say to me that imperfect is perfect, that's how I feel about my son. That's how I feel God feels about us. I agree. I agree, (laughs) man. (laughs) I'm like, yeah. And that's how we approach the music for sure with the Grateful Dead and hopefully life, you know. How did you come into that gig? You know, it's it's, um, from 17 years of cred with the Allman Brothers. Gotcha. It's part of it. You know, I mean, we were on the same scene to me, like, you know, the roots of the jam band scene. Let's put it this way. I, I feel like it's a crazy way my life turned out. Cause I thought I was going to be like a fusion musician that had to go to Europe to like have anybody listen to them slash make any money. But you know, the, the Almond brothers and the Grateful Dead are kind of the fathers of this jam band scene, the way they call it now, right? Which I love, um, by the way. I think me too. I, I feel like playing in those situations would be so just freeing. And it is. It I would absolutely it. is. Yeah. And those were the people. Those are the only people that got Colonel Bruce Hampton and the Aquarium Rescue Unit, and that's how we ended up on that scene. The hippies were the only ones that got us. They, you know, what few ones did. So you know that. Fish wise blood Bruce Blues Traveler took us out on the road with them Very and cool. on these festivals. And we played a bunch of those. The Almond Brothers heard about me and Jimmy hearing, you know, and the other guys too. Through that, um, 17 years with them now on this scene, you know, kind of closer to the top, you know. Yeah. Um, Everybody on the scene knows who I am now, including the Grateful Dead, who were at the very top because they were the only ones playing stadiums. I mean, we played big places with the Allman Brothers, but we didn't play stadiums, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, it was basically they wanted me. They wanted either me or Mike Gordon, you okay. know. Yeah. And Mike Gordon was just too busy with Fish and his own band. And so I got the gig, you know. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. And you're yeah. enjoying it, obviously, right? 
Huh? You're enjoying it, obviously. Immensely, because okay. you know, it's like everything my whole life was prepared to do. You know, I, 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 I got all the pieces put together finally, and I was old enough, you know, uh, to really appreciate the Grateful Dead in a way that that I wasn't before. You know, I had spent many years trying to write songs and not being happy with most of them. Yeah. And then you learn some of the songs that Garcia and Hunter wrote together or, or Bob Weir and, and Barlow wrote together. And, and you just see like what amazing things they created together. Timeless, timeless things that I think is as timeless as Joni Mitchell and Miles Davis and anybody. I really do, man. Like all you jazz cats that are sleeping on the Grateful Dead, go learn uh, Stella Blue. Go learn China Doll and Comes a Time and Looks Like Rain and Black Throated Wind. Learn Lost Sailor, Saint of Circumstance, Help Slip. Uh, learn, you know, there's just, there's, you're going to see the beauty. If you, I wish somebody had done that with me, like learn these eight tunes. And I also wish they had microdosed me and taken me to a show, but, (laughs) but, you know, I just wasn't, you know, Uh, I was listening to music for what I wanted to hear out of it. And Colonel Bruce taught me a different way to listen to it. And then as I learned that and matured and grew, then I think I was finally ready. You know, I guess when I got tapped for the gig, like learning 120 songs, I was like, wow, these guys are Deep, really deep. It will be on my funeral playlist. No lie, with with all the the with Weatherport and Jocko and Miles, and you know there will be those Grateful Dead tunes at my funeral that or whatever my celebration of when everybody's hanging out. I want it DJed. I got the DJ playlist together. You know <laughs> that is awesome. I mean. I guess you can't really ask for much more than that. Being content and being playing music that you love, and uh, there's such a legacy um, with that scene at the top of that scene. And as a musician, yeah. um, it's yeah. crazy because I feel like you know there, there's so many dead fans that will I will die not knowing this music as well as them. Now, in some ways, I know it more because I've learned it, you know, through and through, and singing and playing it with the original guys, but they know stuff about their history that I just, it'll take me a lifetime to learn. So I can learn something very important about the Grateful Dead from any average fan. And I kind of look at them that way as like part of the Grateful Dead library Ah. that is a resource because I'm telling you, like just people tell me stuff all the day, all the time. I write down and go find on YouTube. I'm like, damn, they are music fans music fans i believe absolutely yeah they check out all the music that influenced the grateful dead which is how they got on to yeah aquarium rescue unit because they're just curious yeah you know and um yeah it's really beautiful jerry all those guys were extremely curious man extremely curious and uh diligent you know? So what do you think you took away from the Derek and Susan gig, man? Uh, well, a lot of things. That's a, 
it's a many uh, layered answer. A a big probably the biggest thing for me was getting to actually be in a band with my brother again, which had probably been <clears throat> maybe fifteen years at that point, at least eleven or twelve. Since we were actually in the same band, you know, playing night after night together. How did that feel? Well, it was great. You know, it had been a long time. Of course, we grew up playing together and had played in a bunch of bands together. And it just so happened, you know, with ARU and he went with Derek Truck's band. And we were just like had this long period. And then we would see each other and play sitting in with someone else or something, you know, like we would get to play together, but just not in a band together. So that was really, really great. And uh, it was funny because, you know, that telepathic thing, it just, it was like, it didn't have 10, 15 years off at all. Like it had no time. It's magic is magic. There's just something there that is just completely unsaid. It just, Right, like it never stopped. So that was cool. And, um, and you know, seeing uh, Derek and Susan had two different bands and seeing them put their thing together and, you know, become this one unit, it just felt like it was so strong. There was just like this big sum of the parts, you know. Just like a, it. you think it was a family vibe out there aside from it actually being the family with your bro? Well, absolutely, for sure. I mean, even their their company is called Swamp Family. Oh, cool. You know? Okay. <laughs> so it has family in the title, you know. So yeah, it was great. And then we, me and Kofi, got to do a bunch of uh, <clears throat> when we were young, you know, fusion heads. We used to have those live at Montreux Jazz Festival, you know, and uh, so we got to play some. Of, we play those with. TTB, we got to do those together. North Sea Jazz Festival, Montreux, you know, all those European gigs. So we got to do a lot, you know, before Kofi passed away. It was cool. And that's yeah. beautiful. And, uh, you know, my condolences on that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let's talk about uh, gear. I know you were playing Modulus quite a bit. Are you still playing Modulus? Yeah. I. Uh, the older I get, the the more I've, my back hurts. <laughs> so I went back to that, that old green modulus that I had. Okay. Uh, my very first six string that I got like in 91, I think. Um, Which you completely burn on, by the way. Oh uh, thank gosh. you. <laughs> I actually went back to that base. I had given it away. I had to try to remember who I gave it to. And it, <laughs> it was sitting in a closet. They weren't using it. And I was like, do you mind if I take it back? Because... That's the lightest one I ever, it's the lightest six string I ever owned. What is it? What do you think it weighs? I don't know. I guess I should put it on a scale or something. But, it, <laughs> you know, it, the, the neck is hollow. There's no truss rod in the neck. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's like, it's super light. Like, I think my old 76 or whatever Fender Jazz is as heavy as that six string, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. My four string, you know? Yeah. But, um, so I I've I've I went back to that because it was the lightest bass that I had. So I'm still that's my main bass right now. And then um I'm using Epiphany amps. And okay. um 
and Dario strings. I use someone asked me about strings. I was like, I use the same strings that I did when I was 15 years old, and I'm 56. Are just Dario nickel medium gauge, you know. Except for now, there's six string and it's long scale or super long or whatever. But what do you like about them? Uh, that it's well for me for so many years. It, it's the short answer is it's home. Got you. For so many years, they were the easiest thing to find in a music. So if I broke a string, you know, and I was so poor that I would like just replace that string. Yeah. You know. How often have you boiled strings? Because I used oh, to do that a million yeah. times. Yeah, I dude, mean. I used to do all that. I used to break them and then cut the ball off and make a knot and put the ball, you know, and like re-thread oh, the same see, string. Now, that so, is crafty. That and it no, works. but it was terrible because you know when you have a string that's been used for a long time, it has those divots where the frets where it's pressed into the fret. Yeah, yeah. So when you put the string back through, it's not facing exactly down. So sometimes your fingers are sliding over all those divots. You know, it's yeah. just like the worst. I was like, man, it sucks being poor. You know, and then if you broke like a low B string. I remember it was like five or six bucks for one string. Right. Like, five bucks for one string. That's like two meals for me, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> um, it's just like, yeah. So, but then I, I switched to other strings and I just was like, you know, it's apples and oranges. Like I just, those strings, that's what I'm used to. That's what I've been doing since I was 15 years old. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's I not like that. I never tried anything else. I tried stainless steel. I tried DR, Rotosound, you know, Fender. I tried uh, Labella. I tried, uh, you know, a bunch of stuff, man. You know? So, but that just felt like home. <laughs> I got you. I hear that. What about effects? Now I'm using some, I, uh, I have a, a reverb pedal, I have an octave divider, I have a, a pitch shifter that goes up and it'll do fourths, fifths, thirds, all that stuff, but I really don't use it that much. I was going to say, how often do you actually use it? I don't like the tone. It sounds very synthy. Okay. And then, but the one thing I've really been experimenting with is this distortion because it's not like I'm getting distortion with it, but if you just turn it on just a little bit, I think maybe it's what I need is an overdrive more than a distortion. Yeah. It just like all of a sudden just beefs up just Keeps a little bit. Yeah. If I turn it on too much, it distorts and actually closes back up and like feels like it compresses back down. But there's this little point where I just turn it on, it just opens up and gets bigger. And I was like, okay, maybe I need to keep messing with this thing, you know? What, which one are you using? Um, which one is this? Uh, this is a MXR bass distortion. Ah, I have that same one. I love it. Yeah, I have a couple different ones. This is the one I'm messing with right now. Just started twisting knobs, and I was like, wow, I really like this. So I'm going to keep investigating that. My pedals got stolen when I was 17 years old. Oh, man. And I had everything. I had an MXR everything. It was like five of them, you know, flanger, phase shifter, uh, envelope filter, the uh, what uh, you know, all that stuff, and I didn't think I could get through the gig. And I was like, "Wow, 
you can't play bass anymore without all this stuff on top of it. <laughs> and so I never, I didn't buy effects again for really long, t- like decades. You find yourself decades. depending on some effects or you it just thought scared so? me. Yeah. I was 17. I was like, wow, you can't play bass anymore. I was like, well, F that dude. <laughs> like, uh-uh, I'm a bassist. That's it. <laughs> Now, I, I'm not, you know, many years I was biased against him until I saw Doug Wimbish. And I, I remember someone said, you got to see this thing. It was just him and Will Calhoun and this singer named Vinks. They did a trio. Uh-huh. And um, it was at a NAM show a long time ago. And someone told me when they were playing. And I walked up before the scheduled concert and all their stuff was set up. And I just saw the sea of pedals, you know, just like it looked like there was 29, 30 pedals. Right. And I was like, oh, man, this ain't going to be good, you know, (laughs) but but I still I still came back and watched the concert and was so blown away. I had to just eat my words. It was like orchestral what he did with it. It was pure genius. And he's a great just bass player absolutely his setup is like uh it looks like uh he's steering a spaceship or something mission control yes exactly but he definitely knows how to use them wisely every single thing is like just i I was so amazed at that performance so i'm not an anti-pedal you know i was for many years but i'm not (laughs) i hear that man what uh brother what inspires you well, my kids, <clears throat> my wife, uh, nature. I used to think hell is other people, but now I, I still think that, but heaven is also other people. Kind of embrace the yin yang. Yes, so don't sir. get don't get too focused on the yin and end up denying the yang or vice versa, right? So um People really inspire me. They really do. Um, and I don't know. Uh, possibilities. Just that the fact that there is the possibility that things could go way better. You know, micro and macro. Like, you know, there's we have this great possibility and it's terrifying, but it's also maybe the most beautiful and the thing to most be most grateful for and uh, the most inspiring for me, you know? Yes, sir. You mentioned your kids. I uh, When I see my children smile, that inspires me. I uh, That makes my entire life my day. Yeah. When I hear them laugh. Yes. I remember Robin Williams saying on Inside the Actors Studio, what's your favorite sound? He said, the sound of children laughing. And man, now that I have two kids, boy, do I get that. There's something about their laughter because I know the quality of it. Like I know if it's genuine or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes they're all wound up and they're just making themselves laugh like crazy people. Yeah. But when it's really that just gut, and I love to make them laugh. So if, <laughs> if I can really crack them up and it just works perfectly, I just get so much uh, 
oxytocin yeah. just flooding into my it's system, you know. Pure and, joy, uh, man. Pure joy. <laughs> remember, I remember watching Sun Ra. They said, what are you inspired by? And he said, the birds, nature, sounds. You know, I just was like, it's so beautiful, like everything. Yeah. We've lost our sense of wonder. So if really, if you think about anything, if you look at your microphone or the tip of your nose, if you could cut yourself open and look at how you're constructed inside, you would just be blown away. The fact <laughs> that we're zooming, we should be inspired by every <laughs> single thing. The screen, a liquid crystal right? display, like, you know, wow. I agree, man. <laughs> you know, it's um, back to being, you know, present and open and really not taking anything for granted. Yeah. I yeah. I think that is inspiring. You ever do this when you're sick, when you got the flu? <laughs> it just feels so bad. And you're like, okay, O'Teal in the future, remember to be damn thankful when you just feel normal. Just baseline, <laughs> flatline, nothing, just boring. <laughs> That's so good, man. It's so good. You would kill to feel like that right now. You know what I mean? And so I do, man. I take time to remember like, hey, man, for right now, like, you know, I'm not sick. I don't have cancer. I don't even have a broke finger or something that's a broken finger, something that will eventually heal. So we're talking about, you know, trivial or deep, right? All my family's good right now. All of them, you know? Thank you, universe. Thank you, God. Thank you, heavenly mother and father. You know, like, give thanks to something. <laughs> that is <laughs> the know? truth. Give thanks to something. The Man. hand of fate, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Sun Ra said, you want, you want fate to be in a pleasant mood. When fate's <laughs> in a pleasant mood. <laughs> so <laughs> are you on social media? How can, we, how can people find you? I think it's O'Teal underscore Burbridge on Instagram. Uh, and I, my wife, I don't, I got off Facebook. Okay. And I got off Twitter and, um, I know I saw you t dancing around on TikTok or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I drew, <laughs> uh Oh, I'm, I'm talking too loud. I hope this isn't destroyed. I drew good. the line at uh Snapchat. Okay. So I haven't even, I'm old. In, actually, I drew the line at Instagram because I was like, I'm not Snapchatting. And TikTok, I don't even know what that is. Although I'm going to give credit to the TikTokers that uh, that pulled that thing on the Trump rally where they thought it was sold out. I, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not I, to, I, I Whatever, I if I that. offend some people, and not yeah. to... I'm not apolitical. Well, it just uh, shows it shows how popular and how powerful social media I, can be. I took my hat off to TikTok while while I still will not get on it. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Weir just got on TikTok. Really? Yeah. What's somebody he doing? talked a bit to Is him. Is he working I, out or something? Or I think it's great. No, yeah. he's uh he's giving life advice. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and uh which he actually can give some at, when you made it at what he lived through. Woo. How he's made it is like he definitely can give some advice, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I had I'm not I haven't done it, so I just have the Instagram and there's a fan page that my wife does on Facebook that's really easy to 
fun. Okay. You know, I have a lot more fake uh, impersonators now. Oh. Someone even did my mom. What? They did a wow. fake page. You have to be mom. pretty bored to do those. I don't know. That always trips me out. But yeah. I think they're casting a net. Mm. And it's like you cast a net and then every once in a while they something cut you get something. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I appreciate you. I appreciate. I really appreciate your um, insights and positivity. Um, any advice for young bass players before we go? Um, you know, it's funny because, uh, yeah, I think it depends. It's hard. Well, I give one piece of advice that Colonel Bruce gave me. He said, 99% of success is showing up, which means, you know, keep showing up to the dock every day. The dock was built for a ship to come in and the ship's going to come in. And if you don't keep going to the dock every day, when it does show up, you're not going to get on it. So just keep doing it. Um, and some of the younger people like i don't know if it's the right thing i'm like if it's not this business is going to weed you out because it's just terrible because you got to deal with the music business and business is war and so um unless you like that kind of thing which i don't i'm more the more artistic type me too uh it'll weed you out if, if you just we do this because we have to do it or because we were made to do it it's what we i don't know I, I have to on whatever level it is. But the other thing is like at, for it's great while you're young to be on the road all the time and blah, 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 blah. And so I'm not saying there's not a time for it, but at some point you should really cultivate a good home life so that you have reality to a B with life on the road. Because if you, if your AMB is on the road, then you have no idea how far away from the shore you've swam. You know, and that was my problem and a lot of people's problem that I see. And when I did cultivate a good home life, finally, um, I could tell, man, even like with Dead & Company, I mean, <clears throat> we fly on private planes sometimes. You can't do it any more cushy than we do it. Like there is no more unless they build a transporter like a Star <laughs> Trek. Soon, <laughs> you know? soon. Uh, and I'm all on board, as, yeah. you know, but... Um, but still, when I get home, when I wake up that next morning, I'm like, oh, now I can feel how much my gas tank is down from when I left that morning that I woke up when I left. That's my AB. And even touring with Dead & Company, I'm like, ooh, I'm tired. Yes. You know, and we have routinely have not just one day off in between gigs, but two days off in between. It's like it can get very boring, you know. But I still, so you think I'd be well-rested, but you're just still on the move, on the move, on the move, on the move. And man, I get home and I'm fucking, I'm like, wow, I really feel like two years older. Yeah. <laughs> I hear that, man. Uh, that is some great advice. Um, on that note, that is our show for today. Thank you so much for joining us. I and appreciate you, you, man. Thank you for being so positive, dude. And it's not just all about the bass. I appreciate that. Yes, sir. Everybody out there, stay healthy and kind. Spread love and good vibes and inspiration. And remember, you got this. Follow your path and just play. I'm Josh Paul. 
Hope to see you all out there sometime soon. And thank you very much to Dunlop for making this show possible. Be sure to check out Bass Freaks wherever you get your podcasts.